Hello, and welcome to Profiles, the program that introduces to WFIU listeners interesting people from Indiana, the United States, and the world. I'm Owen Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, your Indiana Hoosiers! Next to ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. That's the most famous phrase in Indiana sports. It comes from one of the two best-known voices in Indiana University athletics, and it belongs to Chuck Crabb, the longtime public address announcer for Indiana University athletics, known especially for his work at IU basketball games. Chuck, welcome to Profiles. Oh, and thank you very much. Pleasure to be spending some time with you today. First things first, how did that signature introduction come about? You know, I I wish I knew that there was a a definite moment, but uh, we had an Indiana Pacers exhibition game here maybe about 1979, and uh, Reb Porter came down. Uh, did the game, uh, made a intro of about, here are your Indiana Pacers. And I kind of heard that and uh, started adapting it. And uh, it, it, I guess it would have been about 1979. And that, that's the start of it. And uh, I've had people call, hey, will you record this for our uh, answering machine? And uh, we, we'd really like the true voice in, instead of uh, our imitation. Can you do that for us? <laughs> Your sports career actually goes way back. Um, You were already reporting sports for your high school newspaper and for a local newspaper when you were in junior high school. Oh, yes. Uh, There was a gentleman named Babe Wheeler, a longtime athletic director at Brazil High School, Brazil, Indiana, my hometown. And he had coached my my father um, and uh, one day in science class. Hey, Krabby, would, would you take the scorebook down to the the Brazil paper, we want to get the results in from the junior high basketball that was played last night. Can you help us out with that? So I, two blocks away, down on National Avenue on US 40 in Brazil, and the editor at the time was a, a gentleman named Jim Dressler. And uh, so Jim and I, you know, that was the start of our friendship that uh, has, has been intertwined now for some maybe almost 50 years uh, as my uh, age advances along here, Owen. But uh, that's how things got started. And then in high school, you were stringing for, I don't know how many newspapers oh, and wire services. You know, it was amazing. After a, after a Brazil high school basketball game, I'd be on the phone in the corner of that gymnasium and uh, would be calling uh, the Terre Haute uh, Tribune Star. The Star was the morning paper, calling the Indianapolis Star, the two wire services, AP, UPI, um, the Evansville Courier Press, whenever it was sectional time, because the sectional always was at Brazil. So, uh, and the Bloomington Courier Tribune, the HT, of course, the Herald Telephone, as it was known then, and that certainly was something that uh, helped me when I was uh, looking at colleges. Certainly, journalism was the degree area I wanted to head. Uh, had a visit with Rex Kurtz uh, at the uh, high school uh, regional uh, in my senior year in uh, 1969, where he said are you coming to IU? And I'm like, yes. And he, well, we've been getting your releases the last two years. And, you know, if you're coming here, we'd like to see you go to work for us. Would you like to work at the at the Herald Telephone? And uh, sure, why not? And so that's how things got started. And you also had some position in high school that I don't think many high schools did, which was uh, basketball information director. Yeah. You know, Bill Springer, uh, the retired uh, basketball coach from Southport and then Bloomington, uh, South and Bloomington High School previous to that. Why, He was a close family friend and had gotten me involved in that. So I started doing a lot of uh, 
the sports information releases, uh, seeing what was coming from this paired person that I thought was a person, Miller-Beatty. And, of course, that was uh, Tom Miller and, and John Beatty, uh, the sports information staff, as it were, for Indiana University. I would see all those releases and the excitement around that Rose Bowl year in my junior year of high school, 1960-67. So I just started uh, – I had a mailing list of about 50. Got really proficient, Owen, with ditto masters. Oh, I was good with that and making corrections. And the pain, though, was typing the statistics because I – it was there were no fax machines, no internet, so everything had to go out by mail. And the high school was very supportive; they'd buy the stamps, and I'd have to type those statistics every week so they could see the results of the Red Devils. And it wasn't the case then that you had uh, formats that you could just stick the number in and it would no. automatically line up. No, you retyped every <laughs> week. You mentioned about coming to IU. A major in journalism seems logical for what you were doing, but you also majored in history. Why that? That was the other. I had a great interest uh, all through high school. Uh, in junior high, I had a eighth grade uh, history teacher, uh, Dorothy Killian, who had really uh, prompted me to enjoy uh, the events of the past and how it impacts our current and what it holds for the future. So I certainly became quite a reader and uh, uh passed out of nine hours of history and uh, a poli-sci class uh, on the SAT, and that was really nice, uh, made up for my deficiency in taking Spanish 101 and 102. <laughs> Went in and declared when I had maybe 27 hours of uh, history courses and the people in Ballantine Hall in that room were, how'd you get by with taking this many hours and didn't show up on our radar? And well, I'd like to declare the major. I'm that close, and that was that. <laughs> there was always the encouragement uh, through uh, the journalism professors that I enjoyed with Floyd Arpan, uh, particularly the late Ralph Holsinger, Del Brinkman, still living here in Bloomington, uh, the late Bill Pittman, to have a, a strong interest in an area. And uh, history, to me, was, was one that I was fascinated. Uh, I, I greatly enjoyed the reading and... Uh, just seeing how it applied to a current day. You mentioned working for the for the Herald Telephone. You were also working for the Sports Information Office. That's an unusual combination. I, sh- I should have filed a conflict of interest. <laughs> uh, that was always an interesting thing. At, at the time, certainly in 1969 through 73, there were two competing papers here in Bloomington. Uh, the Courier-Tribune, owned by Sarkis Tarzian, and then the Herald Telephone, still owned by by the Shores family. And so... I double-covered events. I would uh, cover the Olympic sports. Uh, At that time, it was strictly men's athletics. So I would be covering the gymnastics, uh, the swimming and diving, the track and field. Now, of course, Owen, uh, you know all too well through the swimming and diving history of saying 69 to 73, a wonderful period, a golden era for Doc Councilman and Hobie Billingsley. And so seeing the Mark Spitz, the Gary Hall, John Stamm, uh, John Kinsella, or Mike Stam, rather, John Kinsella, Santiago Esteva, and just on and on and on. And uh, I would take the results to the Courier-Tribune out on Curry Pike after every event, uh, provide those to Bob Owens, the sports editor, uh, Paul Bordner uh, on that staff, uh, Stan Sutton. That's where he was working at the time. And then I'd drive down to 1900 South Walnut Street to the Herald Telephone and write my story. <laughs> but it, yeah, so double coverage, and it was great. I was 
Owen, I was making $6 an hour between those two jobs. It was like $3 each. And, and I think at the, the end of it, finally, in my senior year, I edited the Saturday sports section. Uh, I don't know if they simply found a fool uh, who'd go out and cover events until 1 a.m. on Friday night, Saturday morning, and then come back in at 7 a.m. And the HT, we have to mention, was an it, evening paper it at was that an time. E- yeah, it was an evening paper at that time. So I would come in at 7, do the uh, Saturday sports. And uh, Bill Schrader, by golly, he, between he and Bob Hamill, they got me up to $5 an hour. And uh, to uh, come through the uh, four-year college experience, I had more money in the bank account uh, when I graduated than when I started. It was outstanding. <laughs> good, good, uh, good financial work. You were doing then both sports information and working as a journalist yes. for, for six or seven years. How did you finally then wind up in sports information rather than journalism? Well, the journalism served me for the three years after uh, graduation. There, there really wasn't anything in the market at that time. The, what kinds of things did you do as a journalist? I was, uh, again, Jim Dressler came back across my path, called me one week before my uh, commencement, said, we've got an opening for a wire editor at the Terre Haute Tribune, the afternoon newspaper uh, in Terre Haute, Indiana. Would you like to come over and interview? And I did. So I was the wire editor. Responsibility, Owen, was to make – I did the front page design and then uh, assigned all the pages, was responsible to fill all the space for the two editions we printed every day. We printed a Valley edition and then a final that was for City of uh, Terre Haute. And I had that one year and really enjoyed it and then had a phone call from the uh, the hometown newspaper there in Brazil, Indiana. Uh, I was living in Brazil, living with my uh, my parents and uh, consequently uh, went to work as the managing editor of the Brazil Times, uh, owned that by the then Nixon Newspaper Group. Uh, had a great experience working for John Nixon. That was his side of the, the chain. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, Joe Nixon, uh, his brother. Uh, got to know really well Al Spires, who was the editorial director. And just... Uh, a wonderful uh, learning experience through those three years, but I was still coming back to Bloomington. I don't think I missed a football game in those three years. And I also then, uh, somehow Tom Miller was very kind and always seemed to have a basketball press pass. So I could stand on the steps in front of the uh, West Stand press area. And it was fun watching two uh, teams that went, uh, what, 31-1 and and then 32-0. and that, that was a fun run. And just uh, being a part of all of that as as a fan, because I I would maybe go in and take some notes afterwards and help with quotes and bring back to uh, uh, Tom and Kit uh, Klingelhofer. And uh, but it was a it was a free pass and it was a wonderful deal. So I was getting ready for uh, the fall 1976 uh, football, where of all things, Owen, I, I had continued doing some work for Tom, where I was the internal PA announcer in the football stadium. I started doing that in my junior year. I think you may you may need to explain to listeners what well, the internal yeah, PA announcer absolutely. is. Uh, in, in a football stadium uh, like Indiana's uh, Memorial Stadium, I still so will associate what I hear on that system with the late Burt Laws. Burt was the announcer for 40 years, but there was a PA system separate and exclusive to the media center, which is the fifth level. And so I was responsible then to repeat what the statisticians were keeping. And uh, that was the official yardage on a play, 
where the ball was actually spotted, uh, who made the tackle, who made the fumble recovery, the pass interception, things that would go into the reports that were sent then by Western Union after the end of uh, the game to the uh, NCSS, uh, the college stats service that was based then in Kansas City. So that's where I cut my eye teeth doing announcing for Indiana University in, in that internal PA. Uh, I had great critics. I had people that had a lot of fun with things. There was uh, the late Jack Doherty, the brother of uh, Duffy Doherty, the longtime football coach at Michigan State, uh, Benny Bruce and uh, Sam Newberg. They both kept the defensive statistics. Uh, Dr. George Cousins, uh, Don Ludwig, that, that was the stat crew that I grew up with. And all of them, either health and safety or hyper professors and uh, very good people in offering comments. And, of course, Jack Doherty was just a prince of a gentleman with his Irish humor. And somehow he always tended to be running to the phone, Owen, because he might have had a small wager going on uh, the Michigan State game where Brother Duffy was coaching that day. So he was always running to the telephone. It was a good time. What I find fascinating is actually your broadcasting career or your announcing career, however you want to put it, actually began back home. Oh, it was not? in high school. Yeah, I uh, I convinced uh, Mr. Jesse Pitts, the athletic, uh, or I'm sorry, he was the principal of Brazil High School, to make some improvements in the sound system and to run a cable around to the scorer's bench and... Uh, I'd be happy to be his announcer. And I kind of fell into that opportunity. And, uh, oh, gosh, what, about 1968? Of course, you'll love this. I even sang the national anthem. <laughs> Being in the swing choir, why, I would, they asked me, well, you're, you're the lead bass. Why, go ahead and sing the anthem. So, uh, you know, you go from the national anthem right into the starting lineup. And uh, really, again, it was one of those things in having listened to, uh, to Mr. Law's to listening to Bert here at IU, that Bert was uh, a very uh, uh, entertaining announcer, wasn't a shouter. I mean, there was no Indiana Hoosiers in, in his background, uh, but one certainly that I, I learned from, and I don't know if you call it classic announcing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not out there to cheerlead, to entertain. It's to provide information so people can enjoy what it is they're seeing. So, uh, yeah, I started in high school for two years, did the band announcing, too, uh, for the, the Marching Red Devils, and then had the opportunity through Tom and through Sam Bell. I mean, Sam sought me out, too, where he, he said, we've, you know, we've got a track meet in the uh, field house. And when he talked about the field house, it was the 7th Street, the original IU field house, a dusty old place. And I'd go, I, I announced there and uh, then made the move out to the new field house on 17th Street that we now call Gladstone Field House, and uh, I, I still have to laugh because when I came back to Bloomington in uh, September of 1976 to begin the full-time position uh, in the varsity club, my, my starting point, why Sam was the first one on the doorstep. My track and field announcer is back. I don't have to worry about this winter and this spring. You'll be great. We'll get the schedule arranged. I'll go talk to Paul Dietzel, the athletic director. No problem. And so there I've been pretty much ever since. You did some play-by-play -play A little well, bit. Oh, yeah. You grow up in a community of 8,000 people, and uh, the opportunities are, are just so many. I was uh, tremendously blessed with those opportunities. There was a radio station. Uh, then the call letters were WWCM. 
and now I think it's wisdom. WSDM and uh, the station since is burnt. The tower and transmitter is still there, but they moved to Terre Haute for for better advertising dollars. But my sophomore year, I can still remember uh, uh, working with a, a very my he's my still my best friend ever, uh, Steve Smith. Uh, we were best men in each other's weddings. Where I've been here in Bloomington, he's been in Terre Haute, where he has been on the the uh, NBC affiliate, the uh, CBS affiliate, and now sells advertising for the CBS station. But he did the, uh, and still does, the public address announcing for Indiana State. So he and I as sophomores, and sophomores, see, one of those tag words I get, uh, <laughs> I have as association, why... Uh, he and I did uh, YMCA basketball from Brazil, Indiana, every Saturday morning from uh, about 9 a.m. until 11 a.m. And uh, that was an interesting experience. Did the high school sectional where uh, Brazil upset Cloverdale. And that was a Cloverdale team that the year before had gone to the state uh, uh, championship in Indianapolis with Rick Ford and uh, Rod Kuhn and uh, Rod Hervey, I think the name was, uh, we beat them 63 to 58, and that may be the only basketball score I remember out of I don't know how many thousand games I've seen, but I had the chance to do the play-by-play on that game. That was a treat. Your first position at IU as a full-time person was home secretary of the Isn't varsity club. Isn't that an interesting Cup. title? It is. It sounds British. Well, truly. That was a, that was a Paul Dietzel uh, title. Uh, I answered uh, an inquiry from Tom Miller when he called uh, or I called him for a press guide and he said, your name came up this morning at coffee, and we've wondered why you haven't applied for this new position. Uh, it's going to be in the varsity club, the athletic uh, scholarship program. Uh, maybe you'd be interested. And so I thought about it. And believe me, Owen, uh, I probably – it doesn't show on my tax returns. Uh, I, I still to this day – and we're talking now almost 40 years – I still consider myself a journalist and always shall. And was having a great experience with the Brazil paper. The Nixon uh, family had put uh, oh a half million dollars in and built a new offset printing uh, operation. And it was a I, I it was a great pleasure to see the result of your work every day. When you see those eight pages or sixteen pages come out, or during the holiday season, since it was the only offset press around, the twenty four or thirty six pages when you'd get worked to death by the ad staff because they were selling all that space. I wrote a letter and sent my resume uh, the next day, and uh, within two days, Paul Dietzel's secretary is calling, and we want to visit with you. And uh, had an interview uh, for four hours with Paul Dietzel and, and the late Ralph Floyd and Dave Martin, and uh, consequently was offered the position, Home Secretary Promotions. So I was the first ever assistant that David had in the varsity club. The varsity club had always been in the alumni association, but Mr. Dietzel wanted to see anything athletics be in athletics. So it was transferred along with the sports information office from the news bureau, and I moved into assembly hall in a conference room with uh, seven people. And so we were in the small room that was uh, the veritable pool hall of smoke every day. But I, I was doing uh, office managing, uh, helping fundraise. I knew absolutely nothing about fundraising. Somehow I've ended up in positions where I, I started from zero with where uh, my actual experience was. But here's where that wonderful Bachelor of Arts degree in journalism had prepared me for the being uh, organized, being disciplined, 
uh, being observant and being able to relate to uh, changes around me. And so I was the office uh, manager. I was talking to people. It's really fun coming off a 32-0 and basketball season when you call people and say, you can buy two Indiana basketball season tickets for men's basketball with a $100 contribution. Is that all, $100? Sure, we'll take two. Not bad. It made me look really good. Uh, that was when they'd established the priority point program and had reduced uh, where people could have four tickets, they could have two only, unless they were giving some major dollars. And so it was uh, interesting making those calls. So uh, that, that's how that got started. And I had that position for three years. During that time, uh, Mr. Floyd uh, kept calling upon me, uh, son, I need you to write a letter for me. Would you write a letter? As he'd talk in that wonderful Virginia accent that he had. And I would do all of those, uh, do the uh, mail pieces that went along with any of our ticket campaign and uh, managed to work myself out of a job. In the fall of 1979, then I was made the first ever sports promotion director for IU Athletics, uh, and moved into the south section of the I Lounge. We used to have a, a large meeting area that was divisible into three sections, and lo and behold, the south section became my office for one year. I made every retirement event, Owen, that was hosted by different people in the I Lounge that year. Well, I had more coffee and cake. <laughs> uh, one group that came in for a retired uh, a person retired from the IU Police Department brought a country and western band in, of all things. I, I heard more Hank Williams than I probably will ever hear in the rest of my life on that one afternoon. <laughs> that, that may be a signal to, to switch to some music here, although it's, it's not going to be Hank Williams. <laughs> um, you've chosen some music by John Williams. Can, can you tell us well, why? Well, the neat thing about Indiana University and our athletic program, it's very much a family. The family reaches out inside to fellow family members when activities happen uh, that may be on a national or an international stage. I had uh, the opportunity with uh, Coach Bell, with Marshall Goss, with uh, Phil Henson to be involved in a great number of uh, international and national track and field meets where I served as the announcer or participated. I had the opportunity to do two different Olympics, uh, 1984 in Los Angeles, where I was the manager of the uh, main interview room for the, the press center uh, in part of the L.A. Um, convention center. And then also in 1996, when Atlanta hosted uh, the games of the 25th Olympiad, why I was the uh, uh, competition producer in uh, the Olympic Stadium. So I saw nine days of track and field and came to enjoy greatly the music of John Williams, which certainly I had heard over the years with uh, Star Wars, Jaws, many of the, the uh, movies that he scored. I became particularly drawn to uh, Summon the Heroes, which was the uh, theme from uh, the Atlanta Olympic Games. Now, having some 48 award ceremonies with track and field, Owen, I came to hear some of the heroes, uh, that'd be 96 times. I'd hear it for the lead-in when the processional went out to the awards platform, and then I'd hear it with the recessional when they would leave the platform. So it's, it's my uh, inspiration music. Whenever I uh, want to get fired up, uh, the door gets closed in my office, and in goes the CD and some of the heroes.
Summon the Heroes by John Williams, music chosen by our guest on Profiles today, IU Athletics PA announcer Chuck Crabb. You're listening to Profiles on WFIU. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And the Funeral Chapel of Bloomington, providing funeral and crematory arrangement services for the chapel, church, and graveside. The Funeral Chapel, to honor and commemorate. 333-4400 or online at pdcfuneralchapel.com. Chuck, you've mentioned um, track and field announcing. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit more about basketball announcing in a bit. You've done some other sports as well. Uh, soccer was certainly a sport where I uh, was called upon to assist. Uh, that started when we were still playing uh, men's soccer in Memorial Stadium. Uh, probably had one of my best uh, embarrassing moments uh, through men's soccer, where the one thing uh, the law of physics tells us sound carries at a certain speed over distance. I announced from uh, the front row of the West Stands Memorial Stadium, and then the scoreboard was located in the north end, where our beautiful new north end zone uh, student development center is located. We were playing, I think it was Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and they had a very international team, and they had a player named Dunji Akiwowo. Dunji Akiwowo. He was a substitute, went into the game, you know, now going into the game for Wisconsin-Milwaukee, number 12, Dunji Akiwowo, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> the only piece of advice Burt Laws had ever really provided me, don't listen to yourself. Don't hear what's coming out over the speaker. Because usually it's one or two words later that you're hearing what you previously said. I got caught up in Akiwowo. Now, I shut the mic switch off and it just kept coming out. Couldn't recall it. You know, it just kept coming. And that was an experience where the team benches were right in front of me. Jerry Yegley's habit was always to sit on the back support of a a bleacher uh, or of a bench seat. He fell off laughing. He fell off the back of the bench laughing. That was a good moment. That was a good moment. But I enjoyed soccer. And, and again, the family reached out when uh, some friends were involved in uh, Chicago with uh, the Men's World Cup soccer in uh, summer of 1993. And then again, I believe it was 2000 when uh, it might have been 99 when Chicago hosted the Women's World Cup. Why, I I had the opportunity to announce uh, the matches played in Soldier Field at Chicago. And that was a great experience. Uh, Again, thinking about some of those international opportunities, uh, it's incumbent upon me to to mention some great assistance here on this campus. Uh, Bird had told me, uh, go over to Ballantyne Hall. Look for the language areas whenever you have international exhibition games with men's basketball, and I just took that to heart with doing soccer also. So I would make calls to the different uh, uh, disciplines uh, situated in uh, Ballantyne Hall, be it Russian, you know, the Slavic languages. Of course, I called upon you once for the Slavic languages uh, with a women's basketball game when we had a touring squad. Uh, But going over there, uh, finding people just to learn the basics, to hear 
how they uh, letter combinations, the AEs, the Os, uh, maybe a C or where uh, you know, whatever uh, Cyrillics uh, would be associated with the words. And uh, so I would sound presentable. That was always my secret. Maybe I did sound presentable, maybe I didn't, but uh, uh, not too many people were around who maybe necessarily understood that language I was using that particular day. So I worked on that for uh, for the, the soccer, and yeah, it, was, it was a great opportunity to uh, be presentable. Uh, there always were people being brought in uh, to the booths, uh, being provided by the host uh, sponsoring groups. Uh, these people will do your foreign language. And I would say, I think I was hired by the, the organizing committee to do it. I would go through the names with them, and they would say, uh, there's no reason to have two voices. And so that worked out really well. How do you learn how to announce a sport that's less familiar? We're, many of us have been to to basketball games or to football games, but soccer and track meet have their uh, own ways. For me, it's a matter – it's been a case of sitting down with the coaches, talking with them about what they've heard, what they've seen, what they've experienced. Uh, again, with, with track and field and, and soccer, being able to be on the national platform, uh, being able to travel and meet other people uh, uh, with uh, – who do the announcing. I mean, there, there aren't a whole lot of track and field announcers in, in the country uh, that do the major meets. I, I've had a chance to work with all of them and to visit, hear their styles, where maybe I've only been a spotter, maybe I've been a producer, um, and it's a matter of preparation. Uh, when I did the uh, 13 different Olympic festivals uh, from about 1981 through uh, 95, uh, it was a case where Phil Henson would have me fly into the uh, site where we were uh, competing. I would uh, get in a room with every copy of track and field news for the last 18 months and simply start looking up results. These were pre-internet days. So everything, you know, just kind of my, my index finger going down through all the agate type, Owen, and uh, because I'd, I'd learned you have to prepare. And for every evening of track and field that I might present, I would guess I probably did eight to ten hours of research just going back through uh, track and field news copies, uh, the USATF uh, stats book, uh, which is about a three-inch thick document that's done every year looking up best performances. You want to help people see the level of competition they're seeing. How good is this person on the block? How good is this person about to high jump? And if they do this performance, what's that really mean? And so I live with three-inch notebooks, about two three-inch notebooks around me for every track meet. If somebody has a great mark, it does prompt a bell in my mind, but mine doesn't hold photo uh, memory of what that mark may mean. And so uh, that allows me to look it up and uh, share with the crowd Here's what you've just seen, ladies and gentlemen, Molly Beckwith with the fastest time in the United States this year in the women's 800 meters. And with track and field, I get more excited. I mean, when you present as much as I present, you kind of uh, become open to criticism. And this one person on uh, the chat page once wrote, Chuck Crabb is so boring as a football announcer that he could put a hummingbird on crack to sleep. <laughs> Never forgot that. 
I still always use that whenever I, I talk about visiting uh, with different groups uh, about announcing. Uh, there's a style that I have, and I'm not going to raise my voice and get excited by what's happening. Now, track I will a little bit. But basketball, a little bit different presentation. And you have to understand, I announced for almost all of the 29 years of Bob Knight at Indiana University. Uh, he was the executive producer for how the game was presented. And you kind of followed what the man wanted done. And that worked pretty well. And so now I, I get ready come this October to begin my 33rd year of announcing Indiana University basketball. Are there models out there, other PA announcers, say, in basketball um, that you would look to for examples of how to do things? Or you, you used the term earlier, um, classic announcing style. I, in that respect, I, I, I would look outside of, uh, of basketball. I, I would look to Bob Shepard the longtime announcer of uh, Yankee Stadium and the New York Yankees, the New York Jets, the New York uh, Giants. I mean, a classical literature professor for St. John's University. His, that was his, his livelihood. But he would have, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Yankee Stadium. Your starting lineups now, Phil Rizzuto, Rizzuto, you know, and wow. And, and to hear that, uh, the, the movie 61, that Billy Crystal did about Maris and Mantle. You know, Bob, Bob Shepard was the closing epilogue on that for, and in 1961, these accomplishments, because the 61 logo and the, I think it had an asterisk. And so he related Mantle and Maris, what that season meant. And, and so I, I listened, I enjoyed listening to him. Of course, in the old, the old days of the black and white TVs of the 50s and early 60s, my parents, dad was uh, an elementary teacher and principal his 39 years there in Brazil. Um, we had the black and white TV. So it'd be Channel 10 Terre Haute watching the CBS Major League Baseball Game of the Week with Dizzy Dean and Pee Wee Reese. And uh, you'd always hear Bob Shepard's voice at Yankee Stadium, particularly with uh, the World Series, as it was almost every October there'd be Bob Shepard giving the starting lineups. So that was the style. And, and then certainly Burt, uh, the late Burt Laws, in, in hearing him. I, I heard Burt at the end of his career. You know, here's a man that started in 1936 as an electrician with the university. Zora Clevenger, the athletic director, came up and said, you know, you're maintaining this sound system. And at the time, the sound system from the old 10th Street Stadium was taken into the field house now Wildermuth, and they moved it back and forth. You have a pretty good voice. Since you're maintaining this sound system, you could be the announcer too. So I'd get two for one out of this deal. Isn't that a good deal? And so Bert was one that was always very, I mean, he was very enjoyable to hear in his wonderful Washington, Indiana voice when he'd talk about Dr. 4-7. Please call the doctor's exchange, always exchange. Always just very pleasant to hear. And uh, so I, I, I listened to him with both football and, and basketball games and uh, really took his style, took Bob Shepard's style and, uh, and used them. Uh, and, and they still serve me very well to this day. When one watches you announce, you look very calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> but I've had the opportunity to substitute for you a couple of times. Yep. And it can be very hectic. How do you manage it? 
Well, you know, you learn a lot of discipline in sitting at that bench. You you didn't see the the the, uh, the couple of times you had Owen. Maybe some of the finger marks where I'd gripped pretty hard uh, the edge of the table there. But uh, it's it's a discipline that you learn. No cheerleading. You need to be careful with your expressions because fans could take a smile, a laugh, uh, a casting of the eye in the wrong direction, misread that as uh, something being said about the official who maybe had just signaled a foul in front of you. And I was uh, reprimanded once. Uh, Phil Robinson, a, a longtime Big Ten official, came over and, young man, young, I, I'd love to hear him say that today, young man, <laughs> uh, young man, you, you can't have that expression on your face. You know, I'll call a technical on you the next time. So uh, you learn from little things like that. And uh, you got to watch out how you react around there. But I get as involved and as passionate with what's happening because I'm a Hoosier fan, a Hoosier native, a graduate of this great institution. I love what happens out there. I just have to be careful in the way that I share it. Have you ever had an accident with an open mic? There are occasions where things have happened. Um, I can remember a time with football where uh, the electricians for the university uh, physical plant that used to maintain it, they'd put a double switch, and I used the wrong switch. So I leaned to one of my spotters, who's starting today? And it was heard, and this was a spring game. Thank heavens it was a spring game. And that was, uh, that was an interesting share. About 2001, uh, January, we were playing Michigan State, a CBS game. Kirk Haston hits a shot to beat Michigan State, which came in, I think, ranked number one. Unbelievable Sunday afternoon in Assembly Hall. Uh, sometime uh, during maybe the second time out in the second half, um, John Harmon, and John's been with me now about 13 years as the sound technician for Assembly Hall. John was, uh, he thought it was really hot in Assembly Hall, and it was. I mean, the heat was cranked, the, the excitement on the floor, how well we were doing against I believe Michigan State maybe even was the defending national champion that year or about to win a national championship. He kept getting water, and he kept giving me water. Well, in that timeout, Owen, I mistakenly didn't shut the switch off for the microphone. And uh, as much water as I had had, I belched. And that was a resounding sound in the assembly hall that— I should have come back with the rejoinder, uh, my apologies, Mother Crab did teach her oldest son better manners, but I didn't. And I had people afterwards that were just cackling and dying laughing about, oh, yeah, the Iron Discipline Man, you slipped on that. We, did we hear you belch? Did you belch? Uh, it, it was healthy. You're probably one of three people associated with Indiana men's basketball over the last 40 years that people would recognize immediately. One of the other three is Don Fisher. What are mm -hmm. your impressions of Don Fisher, the longtime um, oh. voice of, of the team? See, I go back to Don Fisher when he was announcing at WBOW in Terre Haute. And uh, there, there was a time where Terre Haute was just unbelievable. You had, uh, you had Joe McConnell, who was on one radio station. Uh, you had uh, Joe Tate the longtime Cleveland Cavaliers announcer, they were doing radio. When Joe Tate went from BOW to 3WE in Cleveland, his replacement was Don Fisher. So I got to know Don in, um, I think I met him of all things at Evansville 
at a semi-state in about 1970 that I was covering for the Herald Telephone. And then the young guy shows up in Bloomington in uh, 1972, starting to announce Indiana basketball, working with Max Skirvin. Don is just the uh, personification of preparation and dedication. Uh, it's fascinating to listen to him. Hello, everybody. And, you know, I, you've got to get with, uh, let's see, Don Schmuel uh, from IU Police Department. Don does some of the greatest imitations of Don Fisher. And he even throws in a Chuck Crab every so often. But, uh, you know, Don is he, he is so wonderfully associated with our uh, our alma mater. And for someone that graduated from high school, got involved in radio. And uh, I would hope one of these days there's uh, an honorary degree or something to recognize Don because he's brought so much positive to this university. Uh, what a what a wonderful gentleman. And. Uh, uh, he never ages. I mean, here's somebody that goes back to 1972, and he'll go as long as he can. I know he will, and that's the intention. And I, I certainly hope that uh, I can have that same opportunity. Now, somebody else who, uh, a little bit older, is the third person associated with basketball. You've mentioned his name before. After the passage of some years, what are your impressions of Bob Knight? He was a great friend, um, loyalty, uh, a very strong trait of his. He was wonderful to me, always involved me in, in different things. I can still remember uh, the summer of uh, 93 being uh, called, uh, Coach Knight wants you to come up to Frankfurt. Uh, there's a movie being made with Nick Nolde and Shaq, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, most of the IU basketball players, and he wants you to be the announcer for a movie called Blue Chips. Will you clear your schedule? And I'm like, well, I was getting ready to go on vacation with my wife for a week. And, uh, well, no, Coach really wants you up there. Can, can you be there? And so how do you say no to that? He was uh, one that uh, Coach Knight always asked of you, do your best, be prepared. Uh, no one is any greater than uh, the program. And so don't take yourself so seriously that you forget what you represent, uh, Indiana University. And so I certainly took that to heart. And he was, uh, he was always uh, extremely good to me. Um, did I have my occasion to be caught in the barrel? You know, yeah, I, I, I had one situation on a publication where he, he wasn't very happy and he let me know about it. But then that, that, was, that was that and he made his point. And uh, certainly it, it, it's been different. Um, our family certainly took a huge hit in 2000 when he was fired. Uh, it split the Hoosier Nation. And things are coming back together, and, and it's great to see that. Uh, the outreach now uh, by Indiana University uh, to uh, include Coach Knight in the uh, Athletics Hall of Fame, uh, a wonderful honor. Uh, it validates the Athletics Hall of Fame. Uh, you would want somebody of his uh, caliber in there for the 29 years that he provided to this institution. Three national championships, uh, the Big Ten championships, um, the recognition, the honors, the Olympic uh, gold medal, the, the Pan American uh, championship. Uh, uh, I always tend to see more of the greater good that, that Bob Knight did than, than some, of the, uh, some of the incidents. What about Bill Mallory, the football coach? Great from... gentleman for those 13 years that he was head coach. Uh, he was one that uh, always uh, very supportive and uh, enthusiasm, uh, 
it's it's fun to sit with Coach, and uh, there's a group now called the Mallory Men, and it's an internet site that's been created for anyone that's been associated with Bill Mallory at Bowling Green, at Miami of Ohio, at Colorado, at Indiana University, at Northern Illinois. And it's amazing to go into that website, Owen, and read uh, the testimonials given by by the uh, the former players of Bill Mallory. And uh, he touched a lot of lives in such positive way. And I, I, I wish that the separation there had been handled a little differently. It still is something that's taken some some time for Indiana University football to overcome. You, you just don't fire a coach in October and not have some long-lasting impact. Uh, high school coaches get offended. Here was a good contact for them. And we've, we've had our, our struggles since then and uh, certainly hope with uh, Coach Bill Lynch that things start riding themselves and uh, move forward in a very positive direction. Coming back a bit to the announcing, uh, one thing that has changed a lot in the last 10 years is advertising. Uh, we see it on the video board. Uh, you have to read a lot of advertisements. What's, what's your reaction to that? Probably initially it uh, was one that I, I didn't really uh, appreciate. Uh, I thought it was taking the spontaneity out of college athletics. There was always something about uh, when a particular play would happen – Let's say, of course, I'll, I'll take it way back, well, way back. We go to 75 and 6. A great play by Quinn Buckner, a steal, down the floor, you know, Kent Benson, layup. Indiana scores. Timeout happens. Ray Kramer gets the uh, basketball pet band to play the Mighty Quinn. Under today's scripted format, there might not be the Mighty Quinn played in Assembly Hall. I mean, there are obligations uh, that are required, uh, contractual obligations with uh, the corporate partners that we enjoy, and there's a lot more packaging. I can't dispute the idea that uh, scripting an organization is necessary. Uh, I was very much moving in that direction myself during those years uh, before our, our, some of our current uh, promotional obligations uh, were contracted. So you learn to live with it, uh, you, you hope for some flexibility, and, and we've gained that. Uh, David Woodley, uh, director of uh, athletic bands uh, in a basketball setting, he has, he has the ability uh, through his communicator to say, I'm going to play Indiana or Indiana. Been a great play. Let's get out of this. And we do. So that just kind of restructures the two-minute and 30-second timeout you have. So you kind of go with the flow. And we're getting back to that, and that helps a little bit. But the rigidity, Owen, it gets a little tough. And um, I do – with the uh, the sport uh, marketing group, I I do reserve the right to do some editing. I mean, I, I don't change the message. I just change the way the message is being said so it sounds more like how I may read it. Do you think television has been a positive contribution with the way that now every game is on television, different networks, uh, different ways of doing things? There are some uh, situations where some networks, they sell two minutes and 15 seconds of advertising. When that is the NCAA or Big Ten uh, conference agreement for maximum timeout uh, length. I also wear an earpiece where I hear the producer, Chuck, we need, we need 20 more seconds. We've got replays coming out of this. We got to let Dickie V have his moment. Got to let Dick Vitale or we have to have... Clark Kellogg, do a scene set before we go back to action. 
And that can be a little maddening because maybe they showed a ton of replays, Owen, before the commercial break actually started. And then they're wanting more time on top of that. Some of the timeouts, they'll stretch to three minutes now. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they don't. And then they wonder when they have a doubleheader situation why the second game starts late. (laughs) That's just the nature of the business. And that brings us to the conclusion of this conversation. Our guest today has been Chuck Crabb, public address announcer for IU Athletics. Chuck, thanks for visiting with us. Thank you so much, Owen, for the opportunity. To our listeners, we're pleased you joined us, and we close with more music by Burt Bacharach. For WFIU, I'm Owen Johnson. What the world needs now is love, sweet the only thing that there's just too little of what the world needs now is love sweet love no not just for some but for everyone lord we don't need another mountain there are mountains and hillsides Enough to climb There are oceans And rivers Enough to cross The program you have just heard was recorded in September of 2009. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Paskash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And the Funeral Chapel of Bloomington, providing funeral and crematory arrangement services for the chapel, church, and graveside. The Funeral Chapel, to honor and commemorate. 333-4400 or online at pdcfuneralchapel.com. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Christina Kuzmich, executive producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.